So I'm supposed to say Beijing? Yeah. yeah. We, th- th- we we did this on one of our podcasts, Kathy. Yeah. I was tired. I've been busy. <laughs> I moved. <laughs> I'm living in a construction zone. <laughs> I have plaster dust in my head. <laughs> Nuclear. Now, is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. We're about to jump back into our SAT prep, keep our study guide going for all of you who uh, are I'm sure going to take the SATs soon because we've got a very large uh, late teenage cohort who listens to us, I think. But before we do that, we <laughs> want to go back to a listener question from one of our dedicated listeners, Doug, who we hear from from time to time. And Doug asked a question that I, I honestly have never, ever thought of before he asked this question. Hello, word people. Doug Hickton here in Chicago. I have been wondering something. Why is it that when we describe national level things, we normally use an adjective like German chancellor, Canadian parliament, Italian food, Chinese checkers, Australian ballot. But for subnational things, it's usually a noun like Ohio governor, Toronto mayor, Florida wetlands, buffalo wings and Dijon mustard. Thanks, guys. I have not missed a single podcast and I've been urging everyone I know to tune in. I gotta say, this is something I never ever noticed in my life. Not once. And I've been around for quite a while. And I, I didn't. So I initially, I thought this was going to be a toughie, but it's not actually as difficult as I, I thought it was going to be. Don't you agree, Ross? Um, no, I don't. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, um. controversy. <laughs> yeah, actually, I thought we, we, we arrived at an answer, but. The whole issue, I thought, gets. I started doing a little tiny bit more research, and then with you know, there, incidentally, these are called demonyms, which is uh, official. Well, not, not there all, just one aspect of what his question is a demonym. The other is not. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but the question is like, what, when is when do you use an adjectival form? When do you use a, a nominal form? Uh, it at first seems sort of simple, but there are all sorts of exceptions I began to find. So I think as in anything in language, it sort of gets kind of mushy. But I'm going to go back to Miss flying over and looking at the simple aspects. And Kathy, well, I think I think you're right. Basically, it is simple until you get to the exceptions, and then it gets complicated, which is typical of language. It's simple and complicated simultaneously. But let's start with the simple, Kath. Basically, it seems. And now I'm curious, Ross. When you did more research, did you find something different? What I had seen was that. Yes, when it's a national when it's a national thing, as Doug himself said, it is done in an adjectival form. You say the German Chancellor, you say the British Queen, uh, you say the uh, American to- septic system. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when you do states, you do, you do, or states or towns, you do the Ohio governor. Again, it's like his thing, the Kentucky Derby. So generally, when it's a state thing, and this is what I wanted to ask you, Ross, I didn't find it in a non-American form. That's where I got complicated. 
Okay. That's where I got I got began to wonder. First of all, the why is the the a uh, Doug asks also why, and someone on a linguistic site surmised, and I think it's probably pretty reasonable, that when you have so many states, it's hard to like really know the adjective form. Like, what do you call someone from Maine? A Mainer or a what? Down so Easter. Okay, very good. <laughs> Sorry. But, so, what do you call them? So he's suggesting that one reason is that you know basically we all know you know, a national identity, but we may not know the state adjective form. So we just drop it and just use the kind of an, an attributive noun instead, New Hampshire cuisine or whatever. So that seems like a reasonable answer. Now, here comes the problem. I had a friend as did Kathy in Tuscany, which is in Italy, and it's a portion, it's a section of Italy. Do mm. we say, and this guy said, you say Kentucky barbecue. Now, let's say people in Tuscany are doing barbecue, or let's say they're doing some nice, better You say Tuscan. You say Tuscan. Yeah. You say the adjective form. You don't say the uh, noun form. So, it's, so therefore, does it, I, I began to get curious, does it only apply to American or um, America being broad, including Canada? So Tuscan is not noun form. No, you say, you don't, that's what it's I'm saying. Not, right, that's it's adjective. That's, that was what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. I said, no, I, I thought it got complicated because you can't really extend this outside of America. And then I began to wonder, can you or not? It does not apply, it seems, outside of the United States. That's what I was thinking. Oh, that's what I was saying initially. I, I thought that you had found something different. Oh, in America, I, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you and I are in agreement. Yeah. We're using the noun form if we're talking about uh, an American subdivision. And and we're still mm -hmm. using the adjective in other places. Although I wonder, does that also does that apply to like Canadian provinces? I don't I, I don't remember hearing something like Ontarian Premier or something. No, I would say the Ontario Premier. Right. So similar thing. It's similar. I would say, but I would and I but I'd also would say uh, Ontario cuisine. Like I would just I would say Texas barbecue. You know, I would say Ontario whatever. I, I would say the same the same aspect. So, you know, Ontario smoked uh, ham or I mean, smoked meat or something will actually be. Convinced. So there's probably a bit but, of a crossover you know, into Canada. From the, I think the there American is. Way. But I was just sort of interested in the fact that we don't we're, we're all speaking English here. And then we go to Italy and we don't use that. That's where I was saying it got, I thought the complexity came in. To me, that's sort of weird. I, I don't see why we don't. Because we don't, because we're not Italians. I'm saying like an American doesn't know really what Tuscany is necessarily to me. So I don't think the rule applies. In the United States, there's too many, there's 50 states and a lot of complexity, like we said. Like, what do you say for like someone from um, like New Jersey and we know because we grew yeah, up that's, there. Yeah, that's the whole point. That, that's the, exactly the point I'm trying to make. We go to Tuscany. We don't know the adjective for Tuscany. Yet we, we have to learn it to say Tuscan food. It's the same thing. We, you're saying basically we don't know what a person from Delaware is called the adjective form so we say delaware cuisine okay we're tourists we go to tuscany we have well, no idea tuscan. it is kind of weird though because wh why wouldn't it be the tu tuscanian right that's what i'm saying that would just seem to be the easier thing yeah we do learn that it's tuscan not tuscanian yeah but i see i'm assuming that's because isn't that what what do they say in italian do they say tuscan no food that's my point is i'm wondering if we're just merely repeating what they say in, in English. Well, maybe, but we don't necessarily, we're not doing the same thing with American states, right? We're not learning yeah, that. that's what I'm saying. That Rhode Islanders call themselves Rhode Islanders or Rhode Islandites or something like that. Yeah. And we have no, we go to Tuscany, we see Tuscany, welcome to Tuscany. 
But we don't say Tuscany food. As soon as we get there, we learn it's Tuscan, which is what Fletcher's saying and I'm saying. But we learned, okay, we also say French. And, that's a and... national, though. That's that's national. We're talking about local. Okay, yeah. So I th- I do think it's it's sort of weird that we, in one case, we, we use it, and in another case, we don't. Okay, now I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and then we're saying basically, okay, it, it, it's, you know, it oozed over into Canada, or Canadians speak the same way as Americans do, but... I know when they go to uh, Tuscany, they say Tuscan food. I know Canadians have been there, and they say Tuscan food. They don't say Tuscany food. And again, I, and again, that makes that's sort of interesting because the the answer as to why do we do this is basically we don't know how the adjectives work, and I mean, are we surely or are less aware of a, a, adjectives in Europe, yet we use them. I think it's sort of interesting in that sense. It becomes more complex. I see what you're saying now. You're absolutely right. Because to me, I mean automatically my ear prefers the adjectival form it does but not with kentucky barbecue i hear kentucky barbecue that's what it is my wife did a a big uh article on barbecue around the country and we went to various places and we all said texas barbecue carolina barbecue kentucky barbecue we didn't say texan barbecue i'm willing to guarantee the people there also don't say texan barbecue like here in mm. here in Kansas, we talk about our great Kansas beef. We don't talk about our Kansan beef. Mm-mm. That's interesting. Yeah, but we all go to Tuscany, and we're talking about Tuscan barbecue. <laughs> Actually, now I see what you're saying, was because I didn't get it initially, but I, I I do understand now. Yeah, that's very strange. I'm sorry. Total aside, did you? I'm sorry. This is a real tangent, but I still remember when I was a kid in high school, and they would talk about Carolingian stuff, and I had no idea to do Charlemagne. I was like, <laughs> yeah. "What the hell? <laughs> what are we talking about?" <laughs> sorry, total side note. Actually, I like that Carolingian barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> There's a restaurant chain here somewhere, guys. <laughs> so, do we do we have an answer for Doug? Is it just that we don't really know what the adjective form would be, and so that's why we're we're doing it with the nouns that was the the one of the linguistic answers but we've just gone through this long long discussion of tuscan barbecue and we're deciding we're not really sure if that's the answer we basically tuscan barbecue (laughs) i know doug we have no real idea we're gonna have to do some more research on this i think Let's pick up then with our SAT prep. You guys wanted to take a look back, though, at one of the words that we were talking about last week. Yes. Ross got an article from a friend of his uh, from the publication The Hill, political. And we're wondering, did The Hill fail the SATs? The sample we had, the word was abrogate, which we discussed last time, Mm -hmm. a word that none of us use that often, we (laughs) determined. However, The Hill did use it. Ross? Okay, Kath, why don't you read it? I, I like your mellifluous voice better than mine. This has been accomplished with duplicitous diplomacy. Beijing refuses to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine or to call it a war, but it also has not abrogated Western sanctions against Russia or provided any military aid. Okay. Right. And, and abrogated, as we talked about last time around, means sort of like um, not... Um, giving up, you abrogate responsibility, right? You you shirk mm-hmm. your responsibility for something. Mm-hmm. Um, but abrogating sanctions, uh, it almost, what are they trying to say there? That was our question. We we basically looked at the definitions again, just to make sure. And we kind of got like, this is sort of fuzzily, maybe, just maybe. 
It's not a very good usage of the word. Formally abrogate, we said before, I'm going to repeat it. It means to abolish by authoritative action to annul as an abrogated treaty. Okay, China doesn't have a treaty with the West, so it doesn't work in that definition. Another definition is, which kind of may work, to treat as non-existent, to fail to do what is required as a responsibility, as in the company's directors abrogated their responsibilities. And then the third is to suppress or prevent particularly a biological function, which I don't think we're talking about antibodies here. So what do you think? What do you guys think about this then? I think they're trying too hard to be fancy, and I think it's a really bad usage. I completely agree with Kathy on this. Yeah, it, it doesn't work for me at all. It just feels like they, they should have just chosen another word. Yes. And this goes to something that we've been talking about periodically. The idea basically behind language is to, is to be clear, unless you're writing poetry or something like that. But it's to Oh, I disagree. Poetry is even clearer. So sorry. Okay. Well said. Or okay, let's major. say a term paper. Let's say a term paper. You're trying to look like you're smart. And that's okay. sort of what got us what Kathy just said earlier. This seems to be a word that she's trying that the uh, author he or she is trying to use to sound smart. And it doesn't really work. And it sounds technical and in a, and it also in a funny way sort of misleads because the basic idea about abrogation is to do what is required. China doesn't have uh, this is opinion if China is required to do sanctions. It's not legally or or uh, impelled to do them. So therefore mm -hmm. this kind of implies that China has like a legal obligation to, to to use sanctions. You may they may have a moral obligation in our part, but they don't have a legal obligation. And even though you could technically say the word is correct, I don't like it. You don't like it. Kath doesn't like it. I think it stinks. I think you got <laughs> I think you kind of got to stretch to say it's technically correct even. That that's you do have to stretch. You, you sort of have to st stand on your head and and squint a little bit to see that. <laughs> That's an interesting Hard to image. stretch that way, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, because you could say, I mean, it does mean, quote, to treat as non-existent. But the subtext in there is to fail to do what was required. And there's mm -hmm. no, as you said, Ross, no requirements. So this is like mm -hmm. really, this is, I think, just like a, a fancy, high sclerotic, you know, high cholesterol language that doesn't belong there. Yes. It's one of my pet peeves, actually. This is one where I really become a, a prescriptivist, and Kath does too. I really can't stand people using large, you know, 25-carat words in, in places where they don't need them and in places where they're done to impress rather than to actually communicate. And this is a clear case of that, I think. I think the authors abrogated their responsibility uh, yeah. to get writing. Uh, Ooh, that was fancy, Ross, but correct. <laughs> and it worked. Shall we move on now to Fletcher's... Can Fletcher pass the SATs? Mm, I don't. I'm not sure. I did last time. I got like a 400 or something. I don't even know why. Hey, we, we, we talked <laughs> about the last scores time. now. We yeah. The scores now. <laughs> but we're gonna teach you how to pass them. Darn it. <laughs> okay. The first word is a cost. Uh huh. A C C O S T. Which is right, and which is wrong. Ready? Yes. The fans accosted the film star and kept asking him for his autograph. <clears throat> After being accosted by two lions, the film star had to go to the hospital. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a tough film. Uh, one thing Fletcher was say there's a there are a couple of trick 
questions in here where both may be incorrect or both may be correct, just to make it more complicated. Aha, very good. Um, well, these both these both have a little bit of what I, I would have thought was correct in it. In both cases, um, well, uh, being assaulted maybe is a little strong for the first one, but but the fans are are probably running up and and gathering around the filmmaker uh, very closely and getting in the filmmaker's personal space. And in the second one, the filmmaker's very definitely assaulted by the lions, but it, <laughs> but it feels more extreme than what I would expect from being accosted. So uh, I, I I they both feel a little bit right and and maybe slightly wrong to me. Well, you're a little bit correct. And a little bit incorrect. See, see what so. I did there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. This is actually sort of interesting because a cost actually has no um, connection with physical contact. So if the director or the actor was accosted by the lions, it basically means the lions sort of came up to him and kind of growled at him or something. Well, they spoke aggressively. A, a <laughs> yeah. Definitely right. means there is no physical contact. Right. Okay. Which shocked me, I could have, because, to be honest. Because, with yeah, you. I, I would have thought it could have gone either way. Like, maybe there's physical yeah. contact and maybe there's not. But being accosted is more like being, again, maybe not necessarily assaulted, maybe not that aggressive, but but getting mm -hmm. up there in your business, you know? Yeah, it's speaking to someone really aggressively and or assistantly and going like, hey, 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 hello, hello, talk to me, talk to me. Mm -hmm. Whereas I always thought accosting could also be grabbing someone's lapels and shaking them, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I actually think it's interesting too. But this does help me in that um, I, I did feel that the lion's accosting the filmmaker and sending the filmmaker to the hospital, maybe that was a little strong. So I was right about that. Part. <laughs> yes, you, you were right. right. You were definitely right about that. Although then again, maybe the, the lions were like, as Kathy said, were so rude that they <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you never get know. a nervous breakdown or something. But interesting enough, one interesting thing got us, I didn't, did not know this. The, the origin comes from a uh, rib in Latin. It add, which now merges with the C, so it becomes a uh, to costa, which is rib or aside, which I thought was really interesting. I did not realize that. Nor I. So that fits because it's really you're coming up next to someone and bothering right. them. Right. Yeah. I was also fascinated that it ended up being the verb for a prostitute solicitation of a customer. So it's sort of like saying, hey, baby, you know, want to have a good time? Oh, I was accosted by a prostitute that could yeah. go either way. I mean, maybe the prostitute yeah, was really, right. trying to rope me in or maybe the prostitute was telling me, hey, buddy, get the hell off my off my block or whatever. <laughs> Depending on what you were doing. Well, yeah. Now that, I thought that was an interesting one, actually. I had no idea mm -hmm. of the background. And I always did think a cost, a cost could mean physical, not mm -hmm. like heavy physical, but some physical. I would have used Fletcher's definitions, uh, his his answers is I would have probably said much the same thing. Where it's a little, it's a little much that the guy has to go to the hospital, but it's not necessarily, you know, they could have the lions could have grabbed him by the lapels or something, and that would be accosting to me. Right. <laughs> mm. And I wonder if, in that sense, I'm just going to look it up right now and let's check the OED on this one. Could accost now kind of merge into something a little less, uh, something physical, less 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 yeah. talky and more action. Um, a cost, no. Bold, hostile, unwelcome manner to waylay a person in this way. There's nothing about, like, yanking them. Okay, because I still have a vision of, again, our, in our case, our lion grabbing him by the lapels, and I would say he the lion accosted the man, the director. Well, if that. the lion were talking a lot to him in an insistent <laughs> manner, yes, <Yeah>. he did. <laughs> but if the 
lion head come up and silently grab the, the director's lapel. <laughs> then yeah, no. Exactly. no. <laughs> I'm picturing these paws holding lapels, you realize. No. <laughs> okay, next one. Our next word is accretion. And here are the two sentences. I'll read them. Les Mellifluous Lee. Where are the six mangrove peat accretion sites? <laughs> Where did you come up with that? I was one, proud Ross? of that one. I really was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. okay. This episode in the legendary life of Krishna has every appearance of being a later accretion. Well, I don't know. Uh, that's that's the real answer. Uh, I I really don't know what accretion means. Um, until you got to the very end of the second sentence, that one did not seem right at all. But once you read it all, it kind of felt right to me. So I'm going with the one about Krishna's later accretions. Good, because that is correct. Hey! But the mangrove, Pete, <laughs> which I don't understand, Ross, is also correct. Oh, very good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, accretion means an increase by natural growth or addition. So in the case of mangrove, uh, you know, they like the leaves die and then the, it forms peat and it gets, you know, higher and higher. So it, the the peat increases. It, 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 there is increase, accretion of the peat. Okay. And in the case of the legendary life of Krishna, legendary stories have a way of being piled on top of each other. And apparently this, ep- this specific episode the writer was talking about kind of got piled up after a number of stories. So it's a later accretion. That's all right. I kind of like that word now. I love that word. I You use it, Ross. I've heard you use it. I, I don't, but you have used it. And actually, I'm not sure Kathy remembers, but when we were children, our, our parents took us to, um, we went canoeing in a mangrove swamp. Yes, I remember so, that because you were in front and I was behind and I kept ending up yes. in the mangrove roots. So you, you, so you have actually seen mangrove peat accretion. Catherine. I was in the so, mangrove peat accretion. Yes. yes. I was in there. No wonder I don't like mangroves. <laughs> Okay, then, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever met anybody with such an opinion either way about mangroves. <laughs> I feel strongly. <laughs> they were actually sort of scary. It looked sort of weird. I mean, the roots going down into the sort of, I don't know. Remember that? I remember that distinctly. It was sort of weird. Oh, Ross, so do I, because you were in front. <laughs> I, I was in heard? the roots. Did, did you notice, Ross, that, that you were in front? Oh, yeah, because she, she was getting really nervous. We'd back in. I wasn't a good canoeer at the time. Yes. We'd, she'd be backed into the... Uh, the accretion. <laughs> yes. No, but that I, I do like that word because it, it seems like it's useful. If that, there are, You'd have to come up with another sort of roundabout way to say that um, when you could just say accretion. I actually agree with you. I think it's one of those words where we're talking about, we, Ross had mentioned poetry before. And the thing I like about poetry is you have to pick the exact word. And mm-hmm. this is a perfect word. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what it is. And there's no way to say it without getting very verbose, as I'm doing right now. And it comes from the Latin, which I want to quickly say, add <laughs> with crescere, which is to grow, from a early root cur, which means to grow, from a long time ago. So well, I didn't realize it goes with a crew, but of course. That's yes. what I thought of, yeah, and I assumed that I was going to be off track by saying that out loud, but apparently not. No. Well, Fletcher has great linguistic acumen. Aha. Or... Okay, wait a second. Uh, shall I? Uh, there's a debate. How would you? Okay, A C U M E N. Yeah, I would say acumen. I wouldn't say acumen. Interesting, because I would say acumen too. They say they. 
say that acumen is the British pronunciation and supposedly acumen is the American pronunciation. That's funny because I've never, well, first of all, I don't hear people say this word that much at all, but I don't remember ever hearing anybody say acumen in conversation Nor I. or anything. Yeah. No, I don't either. No, but Cambridge, the Cambridge Dictionary say it's a cumin. Garner says that it's changing, but it's it's still it's it's still a cumin is more normal, uh, the no, more normal pronunciation in the U.S. And I've never heard it myself. I hear it frequently when you're adding it to soup along with oregano. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I want you in the mangroves. <laughs> yeah, no. Did you know you were on the front of the canoe there, Ross? I heard, I heard that. The canoe. <laughs> anyway, so acumen, which we've decided we say. Well, acumen is is like uh, strong ability, sharpness, maybe. Mm. Isn't well that well said? Yeah, well said because it does, it's 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 a shrewdness and it comes. And the word actually um, comes from, here we go again, from the Latin, and the root word means uh, sharp, acuity, keenness of thought, etc. Acus is needle in, in Latin, which is, you know, actually there's an interesting word that's also related to acumen or acumen, which is acid, which has the same basic old root, which is a sharp Oh. Kind of, you know, like vinegar is acid, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to do the sentence here because Fletcher knows it. I'm quite adamant about not doing the sentence. Okay, Kath, you want to read them? The two sentences, the actor was adamant in depicting the lions, no, the Boston gang leader's <laughs> criminal and personal life as would ultimately be portrayed in the film. Sentence two, he was adamant that the direction they were taking was correct. Right, it's it's the second one. Yes, that was pretty obvious, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think people generally know that word, adamant. Although Kathy got the first uh, sentence, or did I get I think you did, Kathy. Mm -hmm. And this was actually a published statement, Ugh. the first incorrect mm -hmm. usage. So apparently some people don't get it. So. It's so odd to me, because adamant to me, and I know this is one of the most commonly, you know, misunderstood uh, words or whatever, it doesn't seem, adamant I think is pretty clear, as you just said, Fletcher. I, I, but then I guess I see the actor was adamant in depicting. You're saying like, okay, he's he's holding a strong line. Oh, maybe, maybe here's what the problem was. Maybe the actor was actually the musician Adam Ant. Oh, God. Uh, uh. <laughs> Kill the lion. I want to The thing that I got interested about adamant is it comes from um, the concept of a very hard stone. Uh, so it's the hardest thing. And um, I'm sure Ross can say more. What was this? Oh, Ross, did you see this? I didn't I didn't notice this before, that it might be a foreign word altered in Greek. Yeah, that's really interesting with adamant. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there, etymologists have spent a lot of time worrying about what the origin of a language, what the origin of words are, uh, have gone backwards into time. And they're thinking it might come from Akkadian, which is the language of ancient Iraq, Adamu. But from there, it could have come from the Sumerians, who were even more ancient than the Akkadians, who, and it somehow changed a little bit from Elmesu, which meant a stone like amber, which I thought was sort of interesting. I and like it that. kind of migrated into Greek. The thing that I was interested in, which is very modern, <laughs> not Akkadian, was I was thinking about adamantium, as in Wolverine, the Marvel, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, Wolverine. And I had always heard, I mean, obviously that comes from the stone aspect. 
But I didn't realize that adamantium didn't come from Wolverine, that it was actually long before, in 1912, they had adamantium, was mentioned um, when I was looking this up, as a special kind of metal. So it's not just like, you know, Logan. And it's also adamantium, according to some people, is made from a combination of vibranium. <laughs> and that was millions of years ago from that meteorite so whatever we can go on. the next word is an easy one but it's i don't know why we have this because i think it's rather easy so now pleasure if you get it wrong I, I i'm going to be very humiliated by saying this or you will be admonish i admonished her to keep on trying I admonished her over her failure to do her homework. Right. That's also the second one, isn't it? Okay. That's actually, that's correct. But the first is also correct. And oh, the reason oh. we, we put this in here, not to admonish Catherine for her not remembering. <laughs> Ooh, Catherine now. Yeah. Was that admonish does have a, uh, a severe disapproval in effect, which is basically the most common usage. But it can, it's a reprimand or whatever, but it can also be an exhortation, as in the first. So the ne it's not necessarily negative. And I think it's very common. I, I actually am guilty of using it only in the negative. Mm -hmm. And I think that Fletcher's mistake is natural. Yeah, it, I, I think you're right. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud because I have seen admonish being used in the, in the, in the former, in the, the first sense. I have where it's not negative, but I think you're right. The knee-jerk thing is like you're shaking your finger like, oh, no, 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 as mm -hmm. opposed to like, come on, you can do it. I'm admonishing mm -hmm. you. Yeah, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I would avoid using it in, that, in the first case because I think people so commonly just understand it to be negative that using it in the first case might get a little confusing for people. I think mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. I think you're completely correct. Interestingly, to go back to guess what language we're going to go back to, it comes from, again, from Latin, uh, monere. And um, in Latin, it has those varied definitions. Warn, advise, remind, exhort, advise, punish, castigate, predict, foretell. And oddly enough, when I read it, even in Latin, I still read it as sort of a negative. Okay, interestingly enough... Is the OED, the first um, uh, definition in the OED, is not negative. It's just to exhort or urge a person to do something as a duty or obligation. I have to say, I agree with Fletcher. I, I would not, I would use it mostly in a negative. And I think if you use it in a positive, it sounds like it's negative and the person's going to be annoyed at you. Yeah, it's like, screw you. You're not helping. Yeah. So I, I regardless of the... The, the correct definition being both, I would still advise people to use it in the negative sense only. I must say, as I scroll through the OED, they say now usually is to reprove or reprimand firmly. Yeah. Yeah, I would not use it in the in the, in the the technically proper sense. Yeah, maybe one of those times you can be technically correct, but maybe you shouldn't be. Yeah, right. just like shut your mouth. And... <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to yeah. get that aggressive. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty hot there. I, it's an example. That's why I want to throw one thing out. It's an example. We've talked about this a lot of, I think, in effect, pejoration, where the word becomes meaner in, as time goes on. I think admonish is going to eventually be only scolding mm. or reprimanding is it anathema to you ross when it's used <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay 
The word is anathema. Oh, total aside, I just wanted to say, speaking of anathema, we I was corrected on Twitter by uh, one of our listeners who noted that I say ascetic, and she said, isn't it ascetic? Because she too says ascetic, and she was absolutely right. It should be ascetic. Oh, the, yeah, mm-hmm. which we talked about last uh, last episode. Yeah, I just thought of that. I'm sorry, which was anathema to me to learn. But anyway, the two sentences, officialdom has always seemed anathema to contemporary art, which seems to thrive in adversity. Sentence two. This does not mean that sometimes drivers have to slow down, which is anathema to many Americans. This is a toughie, I think. I think so, too. I think it's the first one. Uh, It's something that runs entirely counter to to something, right? I I don't know how to explain this. I, I think I think it would be the first one, but I can see it being either one, really. I'm I'm not sure that I know how to use this word properly. Let's go to definitions for a second. Anathema basically means one of two things. The first one is something or someone that one vehemently dislikes, or a formal curse by a pope or a council of the church excommunicating a person or a doctrine. Now, clearly, which is how it's always used, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> clearly, the second one is we're we're not even going to talk about. So we have officialdom has always seemed to, now anathema in this case is vehemently dislikes. It doesn't seem to make yeah, any no, sense. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I, I, always, I guess I always thought it, was, it wasn't just something that one vehemently dislikes, but rather something that actually runs c- completely counter to something else. So I, I was just wrong, I think, about what it means. I've never felt good about using that word. No, and we have another problem with this word. Kathy and I both have a problem with this. Kathy, you want to go through? Yeah, I use anathema a lot, to be honest with you. (laughs) I hope correctly. (laughs) Now I'm a little tense, but I always say an anathema. I don't, I I have never said, when I've used it, I've always said like, you know, that's an anathema or like this, which, which is, then when we're doing this, I find that more often than not, it's anathema, not an anathema. And in fairness to me, you can use the indefinite article, but it's originally, it was just anathema as we had in those sentences. It has seemed anathema. That drives me off the wall. I always would say an anathema. Really? Never would I say anathema. Oh, uh, me too. Wow. See, if I saw that written or if someone said it, I would just have assumed it was wrong. I would have. I would have thought that an well, anathema. Well, thanks a lot. I'm getting off well, now. I, Sorry. Well, I, I mean, I'm the wrong one, it turns out. I, but no, actually, but no. you're kind of more right because all along <laughs> it was anathema. Now now they're letting, oh, like, you okay. know, like your basic plebes like me to say, okay, all right, you can say an anathema. Right. Is that kind of like know? myriad and how a myriad became okay? Yes. I sort guess. Of the same yeah, idea. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. But it's funny, I must we both must have learned it as an anathema because we both clearly say an anathema. We both use the word for maybe it's the Greek background of a but we both use the word much more A lot. Like yeah, much more than we should, I think. I know. I think so. And I think it must have come from either our mother or father, because I always would use the the definite the indefinite article with it. Garlic is an anathema to vampires. I would never say yeah, now that Halloween is coming up. I would never say garlic is an mangroves are an anathema to Kathy. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. If if one's brother is steering the canoe, <laughs> yeah. 
Although the OED is agreeing with us now. Yeah. It's too confusing without the um, article. So I'm with the mm-hmm. OED. If the, OED, if, the, if the OED likes it, it's good enough for me. It is not anathema. I never realized, though, it was came from religion. I never knew that. Oh, yeah. That I knew because of, you know, all the books we've done on Greek stuff. But, yeah. No, that's an, it's an antediluvian word to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to read you a Washington Post article, and you're going to tell me if this is correct or not. Okay, Fletcher? Okay. Many of, this is particularly interesting to you because you like film and maybe by extension TV. Many of Stout's recent assemblages include antediluvian radios and televisions, two not to the Green Hornet or to I Love Lucy, but to the spirit world. This is from the Washington Post. Correct or incorrect? That doesn't seem correct to me. Um, but I don't I don't really know when antediluvian is used. It, there's some something in me wants to think that it means like before the flood. Yes. Okay. Go with your inner Fletcher. Yes. <laughs> but when would you use it? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. Well, you would know. use it. Basically, it does mean literally before the flood. Diluvium means flood. And anti, you know, antebellum is in that it's before. But in this case, it's actually used correctly because it's used in this sense sort of humorously, uh, something really, really old. And from this writer's perspective in the Washington Post, I Love Lucy is really, really old. It's not Noah's flood old, but right. it's old to most of us now. Okay. And, mm-hmm. I, and it's a humorous, light sort of uh, imagery, I think. And I think it's very nice. I like the word. I love the word, and I don't use it, so I'm going to have to start using it. I also wanted to point out, Ross, that you did read it as assemblages, and I remember we talked about this before. Ooh. And I, and my, no, you're right, and I immediately wanted to say assemblage, assemblage. <laughs> I knew you were going to say assemblage. I know. Actually, I also want to now that we're now that we're castigating each other a little bit, or Kathy's castigating herself. I want to further castigate Kathy with an earlier uh, quotation that she was reading. With the uh, hill question, you know, with abrogate, could you actually could you go back to that? Kathy? Read it so we I can like you. analyze why you're wrong. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> this is like a bad sibling moment. <laughs> I know. Okay. Ready? Okay. Read the second sentence. Beijing is that okay? It? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> We actually had this in our book. The, the Chinese prefer pronunciation of Beijing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> well, I think you wrote that section. Hello, I'm originally from New Jersey. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have said New Jersey. <laughs> I'm taking umbrage, which is not on this list. I'm going to admonish you both. <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. You're Saying It Wrong is a worldwide affair. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Granada, Spain. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario in Canada. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. 
And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or better yet, a review on your podcast platform of choice. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And don't forget they have a new book out, A History of the World Through Body Parts. The stories behind the organs, appendages, digits, and the like attached to or detached from famous bodies. You can find that pretty much anywhere you get books as well. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, knrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.